Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, we talked to Salvador Tamayo, class of 2019, marketing major at St. Louis University at Madrid, and is currently playing goalie for Atletico Santa Ana in Madrid. Sal will share with us how a varsity soccer wildcat forged a path to learning abroad at the university while training to become an elite goalie for La Liga, one of the most competitive soccer leagues in the world. Joining us today from the class of 2019 is Sal Tamayo. Sal, can you tell us what you do? Hi, I'm Sal Tamayo. I'm currently a marketing student at St. Louis University of Madrid, and I also play semi-professional soccer currently. How did you choose the school and then uh, how, once you left WeGo and then how did you get involved in playing uh, the soccer? So I chose the school. I was looking at schools all over the place and this school happened to ha- have a good opportunity to do both school and American University and also play soccer, but playing soccer at a high level in Europe. And, and where exactly are you again in, in Spain? I'm in Madrid, Spain, in the very city center of Madrid, because Madrid's actually an autonomous community, more like it's kind of like a state like Illinois is, but I'm very much in the center. How soon after you graduated from WeGo did you know that you were going to be in Spain uh, doing this coursework and then also uh, playing for this particular club? So I knew pretty much spring break of my senior year that this was the decision I should make because it would better help both my education and my soccer and finding the soccer club was more of the difficult part because I had to bounce around several different clubs due to visa problems. How did you then settle on this particular club? I settled on this particular club through, there is a sort of like an agency that helps players find clubs. They were able to put me with this club and the coach really liked how I played. And I ended up staying at this club and this is my first year actually at this club. How soon after graduation did you find yourself in Spain? I found myself, uh, graduation was in May and I found myself August 1st in Spain. So basically I left July 31st and then got there the 1st of August, and then we're straight into preseason. What kind of preparation did you have to do just to just leave the United States and then be part of it? I'm sure there was a lot of red tape and kind of things that you had to kind of sort out. Um, What were some of the kind of uh, hurdles that you had to do just to kind of get that ready to go there? There was uh, tons of hurdles. Like you said, some of the hurdles were the FBI background check, 
getting the Aplos steel, which takes up to two to three months, and also going down to the Spanish consulate in Chicago. And the Spanish consulate in Chicago only has a certain number of visa appointments for every year. And it, you have to be like, it's kind of like a lottery to get a visa appointment. So I was lucky enough to get a visa appointment. And then I ended up in Spain. Because you were going to play soccer and a student, did that have any way of maybe expediting the visa to be in Spain? Uh, no, not at all. Actually, uh, the, the visa, like the visa is the only reason I'm actually able to play because unless I, if I only had a tourist visa or any other type of visa, I would not be able to play. The student visa is like the only reason I'm able to actually like play in Spain currently. So you arrive in Spain in the late summer of 2019. Uh, what were some of the kind of learning curve about adjusting from life in the United States to kind of uh, to, to Madrid uh, uniquely. Um, what were some of the kind of initial things that you found to be kind of uh, difficult, but also maybe exhilarating at the same time? Uh, what were, what was your kind of learning curve with that? Oh, definitely their take on time. That's, that was a very big learning curve because the sentence of time for them is that they eat later. They eat, dinner around 9 30 but also when they talk about time being on time for them is more like 10 15 minutes later than the time they give you that's probably a, a, a struggle of sorts does that apply also to how you show up in class at the university oh you, you, for sure some of the kids will show up half an hour late and the teacher will not mark them tardy and it's different to what i was expecting what do you see as kind of like the differences between the types of courses or schooling or your peers uh, at, in Spain? Are most of the students at this uh, institution American or is it a blend of American and Spanish? What, how would you say that is? A, what's the composition of that? So it's a mixture of actually like kids from all over the world. I have had classes with kids from Nigeria, Cambodia, all over the place, Canada, Mexico, just to name a few, kids from all over the place. And a majority of them are from the United States and Spain, but you'll get the nice mixture from other countries, which also makes it great to learn about their culture as well as how they learn in the classroom. So uh, tell me about your, uh, your coursework. You, how did you decide that you wanted to settle on marketing? So I decided to settle on marketing back sophomore year of high school. I took a sports marketing course and I kind of just fell in love with just the aspect of like how to market myself as an athlete and then market others in athletics. And it just kind of stuck. And I really enjoy like the marketing courses I'm taking currently and how like it just seems really nice to learn that I can do all these aspects within a business, but also do it in athletics as well. Are you able to apply any of those kind of marketing principles with the team that you're training with right now? Or is, or do you kind of keep those two things separate? Do they allow you to kind of um, test some of your ideas uh, with the marketing there? Uh, somewhat, because our team is affiliated with a brand, a very big brand out here for soccer, like soccer sportswear. 
and we um I'm able to use that a little bit just to like figure out ways to market it a little bit better because we do have to like do promotional stuff but it would be it just really helps with looking in the business aspect of it but also helps me take it back to my coursework at the university you are you now in your junior year or senior year i'm in my junior year college currently okay Let's then uh, talk about the soccer and the training. How soon when you arrive, are you already training with your team? So I was training with my team August 5th, but I had to do a medical, a sports medical, as well as preseason testing within that, which was August 2nd. So the day after I arrived, I was already doing these tests just to test my um physical endurance and other physical aspects that Spain takes very, like very importantly in soccer. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about uh, the club that you train with. What's the history of them and and a little bit about their backstory? So the backstory of the team I'm currently playing with, their team name is Atletico Santana. They're playing in the seventh division of Spanish football and it's they're they've only been a club for three years but they're a club they're essentially a reserve side for a team in fifth division called um Deportivo Atletico Santana but that's that's a team that has been bouncing around the top three four divisions within Spain and the coach actually is a Real Madrid legend. He won seven La Liga titles, a few UEFA Cups, and has appeared in multiple World Cups with Spain. And he's the reason why most of the players do play for that club. Talk me through like what you see to be the, the changes in the way in which you trained while you were a club player in the United States, and now you're at... Uh, was clearly more like an elite level. You are a goalie, if I remember correctly. I was wondering like how, if you could somehow uh, explain the changes in how you see the field and how you uh, kind of approach your training from what you were doing in, in the States, you know, at your club level to like what you're doing now. So in the States, it was very much centered around the type of goalkeeping where you would have to like, where you would make saves, but you don't really have to like use your IQ to like create you. You're not the first line of attack. You're seen as like the last line of defense in Spain. That's actually flipped. You're seen as the first attacker. You basically create the play from the goal. So if you say you make a save, you have to look, you have to create a way to get out of that situation and then create for the attackers as well. And they really want a player who can play with their feet as well as play with their hands as a goalkeeper. So when you're, if just to kind of tease out this scenario, are there like ways in which you kind of non-verbally can communicate to the players to kind of create that space and anticipation of, of creating that play that you're, you're discussing right now. How, how does that happen in real time? How do you, how are you able to kind of, obviously with your voice, but are, are there other ways in which you're able to kind of command that type of vision to develop the play? Uh, other ways is just, we do repeatedly in practice. We'll do 
the same repeated like drills where I would catch a ball and then distribute out to say my outside attacking winger or my outside defender. And it would be just constant repetition over and over. Some of the practices would be just three hours of constant repetition and it would just keep going over and over till it becomes almost muscle memory. When, when you're talking about the things that you improve upon and how you have the humility to take advice from a coach to improve upon those things, how, how do you know when, yeah, that's true. I, I do need to work on that. How do you, what are the, where are the places by which you know that you're going to be able to uh, work on? Like, how do you, how do you, who gets to decide that? And what's that conversation like between you and the coach? What it's like between me and the coach is usually the coach can see something that I'm not seeing on the field or like he'll see certain like little things, like a little detail of like how the ball should be played or like the timing in which the ball should be played as well as he also, he, he's been in game for years. He's uh, played at the top division. So he knows obviously more than I do because he's obviously older and then he generally has more experience than I do. So what's a typical day of, of training like for you? I mean, do you do it every day? Um, and how long are you there? And, uh, and what's that whole process like? So a typical day for me, it would differ because as of right now, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would be practicing with the team. And that's generally at night because this is a uh, senior football and senior football. Lots of these guys have jobs outside of soccer, outside of soccer. So generally practices begin at eight thirty and will end around 11. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have goalkeeper training with a goalkeeper coach from Atletico Madrid. And he, we usually about two hours of solid goalkeeping work. So when you say, you know, goalkeeping work, what's the, what's the most significant thing that you've seen develop in your either physicality or mindset uh, now that you've been having a, a type of really unique coach at that elite level? What, where, do you, where do you think that you've seen the most growth in your game? The most growth in my game has to be um, uh, my shot stopping as well as my ability to play out of the back with my feet because that's the emphasis they put on. They put on for Spanish goalkeepers is emphasis of playing out of the back with their feet being almost as good as, if not better than the players on field with their feet. When you say that there's a particular expectation for Spanish goalies, um, is that true? Is, do you, is it when you have different philosophies is it something that is unique to a country or a division or a club because it's i'm interested to know if that is a fashion of style where it, if it, whether or not it's goalie or the way the you know, the way that the ball is moved across uh the field which style do you prefer obviously you're in spain but is there another one where you you say like oh i like i like what they do like let's say if it's in england or france or or somewhere else what are the other types of differences of like philosophies of games that you uh, that you admire? I admire a lot the 
a lot is the French way of goalkeeping because it's very similar to the Spanish goalkeeping, but they put more of an emphasis on shot stopping and um, like looking to hold the ball. And that's something I've been really needing to work on as well. So I would take, I also, I also really look at a uh, French goalkeepers in the French league, as well as French goalkeepers abroad that are playing in Spain or say England that have that very much French style of goalkeeping. How many games do you play and, and what's a typical season like for you so far? So a typical season, it runs from September to June. So we play around 35 games. And then so far we're about seven games in. We have a record of six and one. What, what would be the, the next kind of goal that you have set for yourself in terms of playing soccer? What, what, do you, what do you see or what do you wish to happen next? My um, wish to happen next would obviously be progress to the first team and play in what is te- almost technically a professional league. And then from there, hopefully progress to a professional league, either in the United States or abroad in Europe. When do those types of evaluations occur? Those types of evaluations occur usually at the end of the season. So around June, I'll find out whether or not I'm going to be able to move up or if I'm going to have to be looking elsewhere for next season. Your your team starting out as, as six and one, have you had this level of success in previous seasons? Um, in previous seasons, no, because I was playing at the under-19 level as compared to the senior level. So the under-19 level is more put on emphasis of like technique and other stuff, and then the results don't really matter. But in senior level like games, it's they all, all that matters is getting the three points, getting the win. You know, being an athlete means that you have to have a certain type of discipline to kind of train your body, but also to train your mind to push your body in, a, in such a way. I was, what are some of the things that you do to kind of stay sharp? I do a lot of meditation, actually. Meditation actually really helps me, like stay calm in situations that I would have a lot of stress, like very, like very stressful aspects of the game. Like I have to make a save in the last minute or else we lose the game. I'm able to calm myself generally pretty well and then able to continue on and make saves that I should be making to help the team win. That's interesting that meditation is part of your regimen with that. What are some other type of like brain hacks for an athlete? So, you know, clearly meditation has a lot of value in that. What are some of the other ways in which you like, uh, you know, an elite goalkeeper, what are some of the other ways in which how you see the field or how you um, evaluate like things in a way that is unique to your position on the field? No, we have to be very um, short term memory. Because if, because our mistakes are amplified on the field, like there was a famous quote by Ted Lasso, he's like, be like a goldfish, they only have a 10 second memory. That's basically what we have to be like, because if we dwell on a mistake, it's going to affect us later on about how we're going to play, whether or not it's good or bad, we can't really dwell on the mistakes or dwell on the past. We just have to look to play in the future, look to the future and look to make the next save.
how does leadership work on the soccer field? Is it by default the the goalie or who gets to decide who is the voice of the team at any given uh, moment on the, on the pitch? It's generally the goalkeeper and generally uh, the captain because they usually have the most say in the team because the goalkeeper is essentially the eyes of the team, but as well as the captain's generally the heart because he has to pick up players when they're down and he has, and they have to be the person that is the default fall guy, essentially. What does that mean by the default fall guy? What that means is that they're going to have to take ownership of all their players' mistakes. Say if another player fouls someone, they have to talk to the ref, or they're going to have to take what art like a player has done not well and have to explain to the coach why they did that. So, Sal, when you have been living in Spain, you know, you were there when COVID hit. Did you did you have to come home for this or did you remain uh, in Spain? And how, how did how was that? How did that kind of create a wrinkle in your plans, if, if at all? Yeah, so I had to come home in March of 2020. I remember that because it was the day that Trump announced that there was no uh, no one was allowed in from the European Union. I literally arrived maybe an hour before he announced that. And then it it caused a wrinkle because I wasn't allowed to go back because the Spanish consulate was not allowing any visas for students, let alone anyone. So I had to find a university in the United States and do a year there and then try to return which I was able to now. You get to live in Europe, which is pretty cool. Have you been able to travel? And what are some of the favorite places to go in Spain? Or where where else have you been able to travel as a result of, of living there? So I've been able to travel all over a little bit of central Spain because generally I don't have that much time with soccer. But a little quick trip, like two or three hours to like say Segovia or any of the little like towns like Toledo outside of outside of Madrid are nice because those are towns that have, are steeped in history. And some places I would look forward to traveling to would be, say, Paris or places in Spain like Sevilla or Barcelona when I would get the chance to. Who are some of your heroes in in goalie history that you try to maybe model your game uh after i would definitely have to say the goalkeeper for the mexican national team memo Ochoa. i've been watching him forever since probably when i was young like four as well as many of the goalkeepers now like kaylor navas for psg as well as david de gea for manchester united because they have a very distinct unique style but they've also come through the spanish system so that style is reminiscent of the spanish goalkeeping style that i'm learning as well you know when you were starting up and thinking that you wanted to continue to play soccer at the next level you know how how did you know to I, i think you mentioned this earlier in the interview i just want to kind of return to it again you it couldn't have 
it wouldn't, it's not something that happens very easily. Like you, I mean, you, it's possible that you could have gone to play at a university in really your choice, right? You could have gone to uh, a, a school that is NCA and, and all of that, but you, you chose not to. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible bet on yourself to do that. How, how did you know that you could make the, the leap to the next level to do this? So I found out that I was able to do this through actually a coach that does travel from Spain every year to do a camp. And I happened to be at that camp and he saw me and he offered me to go trial with teams in Spain. And when they saw me and they're like, oh yeah, you have an opportunity if you want to, to continue in Europe, if you really want to. And I was like, definitely because it Europe is the goal for most players to play in Europe is a big achievement. And that's what's something I really wanted to do along the lines of soccer. Typically how many games per week do you have? I mean, so you're six and one, is it just one a week too? And, and, and how far do you travel for your games? So it's generally one a week on Sundays and it's only in Madrid. So Madrid is an autonomous community. I think the farthest outside you would have to travel or I would have, I have to travel so far would be two hours. And that was up in the mountain in the Sierras of Madrid. And that's probably like the farthest would be two hours. Who do you, have you, since you've been with the team, you know, the, the bears have the Packers in terms of rivalry, although we lose all the time as a Packer, as a bear fan, uh, who is, what's your club's, um, Who's who's your chief rival? Our chief rival for ooh, this is a good question. There's a <laughs> lot of chief rivals in this league actually, because we're so close in proximity to each other. Because of Madrid being very densely populated, all the teams are basically neighbors to each other. So a majority of the teams are big rivals to us. I would have to say. Either there's a team called Canillas, Club Deportivo Canillas. That's generally our big rival, as well as a team called Tres Cantos. Those two are those two teams have been. Well, a lot of the other players that have been there longer than I have, have they've said that the those teams have been a thorn in the side for many of the years that they've played there. When you watch these other players that are at your level, there's, you know, oftentimes that we, we think about what takes, what it takes to get to the next level. We always hear these stories that look, there are people that are born with talent, but you know, at some point hard work can, does transcend talent at some point. I was wondering how you observe that when you're watching your, your peers uh, on the field where you can see where like someone who has talent but they work harder than everyone else. How have you seen that kind of get displayed while you have been in training? I've seen that through just what a lot of them do outside of um, practice. Because a lot of them do gym work on top of practicing three hours a day. A lot of them are in, a lot of them are in the gym uh, at least the same time, if not more, than they are on the field. And that just shows because generally they are fitter and a lot stronger 
than a majority of the opponents that we do play. How much studying goes into it in terms of like watching your opponents and all that? What what percentage of your anticipation of your uh, your opponent uh, comes from actually watching various different styles or weaknesses that they may uh, put on tape? So we generally do one day of analysis, but that's like a practice devoted just to the analysis of how, say, they're going to defend against us or attack against us or how they're going to play a certain free kick or a certain corner. And it's generally just like that on our last day of practice. It's sort of like a walkthrough, but that's generally like one practice is devoted to how the other team plays. Does anything still surprise you on the field as you're playing? Because it sounds like you know, you're putting in so much work with training and then obviously studying your opponent. Is there is there anything that surprises you that surprises you? Uh, at this point, just the, a little bit of the physicality. Because I was when I had to come back for COVID, I was able to play in the NCAA with a, the university I went to, which was Benedictine University in Lyle. But when I came back, it's definitely the physicality surprised me a little bit. One more question about like just the 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 training of, of the athlete. How much do you think that your diet has changed in terms of how you eat? Like, you know, is it do is it do they is there a suggestion or how do they? What's the most kind of bang for your buck best type of food that leads to optimal athletic behavior at least for soccer what's what is it that you see that the what the higher the more elite soccer players how do they consume they will they're very in spain especially they focus a lot on good quality protein good quality carbs so is that that's either like the rice and fish because spain you can get a lot of fresh products like the seafood is very good and then they that through their diet they do generally get a lot of good quality protein good quality carbs and good quality vegetables in their diet which then translates on what's your game. favorite dish to eat uh def- oh, sorry what's your favorite dish oh definitely the paella paella the spanish mm, rice dish yeah so give me a prediction sal in in five years uh where do you want to be in five years, I'm hoping to be a professional soccer player, either in Europe or in the United States. Is there one stadium that you could see yourself like, where it's like, all right, now I'm living my dream because I'm playing here. Is it like Camp Nou or in in um, in, in Barcelona? Like, what's the like where? Because you know, sometimes you think when you're a kid, you're in you're playing basketball in your in your driveway, and you're thinking, all right, it's the NCA, and I'm you know at the at the uh, at the line, and I have to take make this free throw and all that. What's the what's the fantasy uh, stadium where you're playing? The fantasy stadium definitely has to be the Wanda Metropolitano for Atletico Madrid because I recently just visited that stadium for the first time and saw a game and the atmosphere was unbelievable and just how they treated the players, both the home and opposing players. It was just an experience I want to experience as a player. 
That's fantastic. Sal, this has been really fun. And I, I'm so uh, grateful for your time being that it's it's so late uh, for you to do this. This has been uh, absolutely fascinating. And I've loved every part of this. Could you give current Wildcats some tips for success? Some tips for success? Chase your dreams and don't be afraid to branch out to places that you don't expect to go, really. As well as work hard in everything you do and good things will come from it. Sal, thank you so much um, uh, and uh, best of luck. And I can't wait to find out what happens at the end of the season and hopefully we're going to be celebrating your elevation to the next, uh, to the next league. So best of luck. And I know you're working hard and uh, we're all cheering you on uh, back here at WeGo. Yep. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about WeGo Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always find past and future episodes on Apple or Google podcasts or any other platform. Just search Wego Vox. That's Wego V O X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at Wego Places Podcast or on Twitter at Wego Places.